This is The Think Tank with Dr. Mike O'Neill talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. The Think Tank. All kinds of things going on in the state of Arizona and the Arizona legislature in particular. The shape of uh, this year's legislative uh our outrages and offerings is starting to form. Uh, not everything is chiseled in stone, so we'd like to talk about what's happened and what's on the landscape. But before doing that, and we have a guest that will join us for, for most of that, David Lujan is a former legislator, so he's been down making the sausage as well as currently observing it from the outside. He is executive director of the Center for Economic Progress, and uh, we, he will participate in most of our discussion. The, the initial uh, topic is one that I, I think I have something to offer myself, and that is the absolute shocker that Arizona does not get a 10th congressional district. That is a function of how many people you have and how many people are in other states. And there is a exact formula that determines it, but roughly it's driven by population. Absolutely no one anywhere, to my knowledge, had projected that we would not get that 10th say. Interestingly, when you look at the pattern of what happens, the states who ended up short of all of the projections all had a common theme. Those three states were Arizona, Texas, and Florida, all states with high immigrant populations, high Hispanic populations, and the culprit is not hard to find. It's the census undercount. What is the census undercount and how did it happen? Here's what it is. The United States Census makes a wide number of projections that's used by government. It's widely used more by commercial entities than anybody. And they are the biggest and most professional survey research organization in the world. And I know it because I am by training a survey researcher. The folks who, who, who run the census have exactly the same kind of training that I do. In fact, I know several of the most recent census directors published a paper with one of them once even. Um, so this is my, this is my ballot. And the thing about the census is this. When you have to get everybody to respond to that, an actual head count, it's very, very, it's easy to get the first people. You send out an email blast and most people respond and then you follow up. And, and we know who those people are. They're people with computers and emails and they're people who are more educated and higher income and, or at least middle income. They're stable people. Who's hard to get? Very low income people, homeless people, recent immigrants, people who don't speak English. And by the way, the charge of the census is to count people, not to count citizens. Everybody counts. And that is an absolute requirement of the Constitution. Thou shalt count people. The only exception to that was in the original constitutions. Enslaved people were only counted for three-fifths rather than a whole. And the other group that was not uh, counted was, quote, Indians not taxed. Well, 
Indians were considered separate nations. They are to some extent, but they are currently taxed and they are therefore counted. So uh, with those restrictions, the, the, the census has always counted people, not citizens. Now, a couple of things happened this time. Uh, first of all, the census uh, does hundreds and hundreds of surveys every year. They're very, very good at it. And every single thing they do is based on projections. If you don't have something exactly right, there are complicated but unassailable statistical techniques for adjusting the figures in ways that scientists do not dispute. There's widespread consensus on this. The, it, so it does hundreds of surveys every year. It does an actual hard count census once every 10 years. And for every, the many hundreds of uses that the census has, they use estimates for every single thing that they do with one exception, and that is counting people for purposes of congressional appro uh, um, appropriation, or, uh, um, uh, congressional allocations. Why do they do that? They do that because Congress wrote a law saying you have to do that. Um, the Constitution says that thou shalt do an enumeration. It doesn't say what an enumeration is. I think any scientist who's in this business will tell you that the best enumeration is one that's based on 21st, 21st century estimation techniques, which are about which there is widespread consensus. But they've thus far interpreted it as it must actually count hard, hard, hard. In other words, if you go in to, uh, let's say you've got an apartment complex and you get interviews with 90% of the folks in there and you don't get the other 10%. For purposes of a pro apportionment of congressional seats, you only can count the people you actually reach. For every other purpose, the census counts the other people and makes reasonable estimates about them. If you only get 90%, the, the, the ways that you can do to make a really, really highly accurate estimate who those people are. But for purposes of apportionment, you have to actually find them. This time, there were several major difficulties with this. One, number one, the COVID pandemic delayed the census. It messed things up. People were afraid to go out. That had a huge impact on the ability of the census to form. Number two, the Trump administration took the recommendation of the census to extend the period and expand the budget to make an extra effort due to COVID. And they basically attempted to interfere with that and they had partial success in doing that. And the net effect of that was a severe undercount in Arizona, in Texas, and in Florida, all three of whom it cost a seat. Now in Arizona, it was the only seat we're gonna get in Texas, they were they were scheduled to get three seats. They're going to get two. In Florida, was going to get two. They're they're now going to get one. No secret to what happened. Uh, no secret to why there was an undercount. Uh, it's a done deal. I I I I don't think a court challenge or anything at this point would probably be seen as uh, timely. It's a done deal. It's a rotten deal. I think that uh, some of the uh, 
politicians, and particularly the Republican politicians in Arizona, as well as Florida and Texas, have some explaining to do in terms of the fact that not only do we not get an additional seat that everybody assumed that we were going to get, but in addition to that, there is a small fortune of federal money that we are going to lose every year for the next 10 years because a lot of the money that we get from the federal government is based on headcount, and it's that apportionment headcount that they use to allocate that money. So uh, we're either going to do without services that we would have gotten, or else the state of Arizona is going to have, have to hike taxes to make it up. Uh, either way, we're on the short end of the stick, both in terms of uh, representation. We Nobody doubts that the people are there, that if you get, did a full, honest count of everybody in the country, equally throughout the entire country, we would get that 10th seat. Nobody ever questioned that. And that I mean, we're the fifth fastest growing city in America, all kinds of every other thing, every single estimate that the census made throughout uh, left no doubt that we're getting a 10th seat, as well as uh, I say, it wasn't just us. It was Texas and Florida as well. and. Uh, so that's where we are. We're stuck with it. It's a lousy deal. And I will be back with David Lujan to talk about what else is going on in our politics, particularly in the legislature, which he knows very well, when we return in just a moment in the Think Tank. News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. Okay, I said my piece on apportionment and how basically we got stiffed uh, for reasons that were predictable, but still surprising. David Lujan is here. He's director of the Center for Economic Progress. Uh, One of the big things going on in the legislature is taxes. Uh, Prop 208 last year, we voted... uh, for taxes for education by uh, an increment in the tax rate on those individuals, couples earning greater than $500,000 a year. The legislature is trying to do an end run around that. How can they do that? We're supposed to have something called Voter Protection Act, which is supposed to keep the legislature from undoing things that have been voted on by the people. Yeah, hi, Mike. Um, they are they're doing that. They are. Uh, you know, we have a Voter Protection Act, as you said, but uh, despite that, we have some legislators that are trying to do an end round around 1.7 million voters who voted to pass Prop 208. Uh, basically, what they want to do is they want to give uh, the wealthiest one percent uh, a, a tax break through this alternative means of filing their taxes, which would basically allow them to exempt any income that they receive from trusts and estates and business income. And and the bottom line is it would cut in half um, the amount of revenue that Prop 208 could raise. Um, I think it's a clear violation of the Voter Protection Act should they go forward with this. Um, Our coalition that was uh, responsible for putting Prop 208 on the ballot 
uh, we are having discussions and I think we would strongly consider uh, you know, pursuing litigation should this pass. Um, because I, as I said, I think it's a clear violation of the Voter Protection Act. 1.7 million Arizonans were frustrated with the fact that we have for decades not had the funding for our schools. That's why they passed Prop 208. And uh, unfortunately, we have legislators who, who want to continue to fight this fight. And just to offer a little bit of history on the Voter Protection Act, there were a number of initiatives voted on by the people uh, that the legislature didn't like and basically repealed in the session following the vote of the people. Uh, a lot of folks were incensed about that. And they put another thing on the ballot saying, in effect, you can't do that. When we vote, the vote of the people supersedes the wishes of the legislature. You can't mess with a vote of the people. But this seems like an end. I know it gets how they do it is sort of down in the weeds. But the Voter Protection Act, from my recall, is very clearly written because it was written by people who wanted to keep the legislature from doing exactly what they appear to be trying to do right now. Exactly. I mean, the whole reason we have ballot initiatives in Arizona is to give the people of Arizona the ability to pass legislation at the ballot box when, they're, when they see that the legislature is not responding. And you know, if you look year after year when we've had measures at the, at the ballot, it's people bringing those measures forward because they're tired of either the legislature not taking any action or they don't like the way the legislature is approaching this. And so, like you said, there were examples in the past where the legislature tried to tinker with ballot, uh, voter approved ballot measures. And so they, they passed the Voter Protection Act. And, and so that's exactly what that's in place for. It's interesting that um, this particular bill attacking Prop 208, uh, when it, it passed the Senate, the state Senate already, and the senators there made no bones about that this was to um, attack Prop 208. But then we, the Prop 208 supporters, raised the Voter Protection Act when it went to the House. And that's when you saw the House members saying, oh, this has nothing to do with Prop 208, because they really were, they, they know that the Voter Protection Act is, is an issue. And so they don't, they don't want it to come up. We got maybe a minute and a half here. Uh, there's another proposal, flat tax. Now, flat tax has this kind of superficial appeal. It sounds equitable. What, what's your take on a flat tax? Uh, the flat tax is great if you are the one of the wealthy few in Arizona. It is not good if you are uh, the 80 percent of the other 80 percent. And this this flat tax proposal that they're thinking about at the legislature, 91 percent of the tax cuts will go to the highest 20 percent of incomes. And so it's very regressive. Arizona already has one of the most regressive tax codes in the country, and this will make it worse. Explain what regressivity is. And you got just about a minute. Regressivity means that the, low, the less income you make, the higher you pay as a percentage of your income in state and local property taxes. And Arizona has the 11th most regressive tax code in the country. And I would just say at a, you know, at a time when we have this economic crisis where the people at the bottom are hurting the most, this is the worst time to propose a flat tax because it will just exacerbate things. And, and I think, and I'll, I'll conclude this by noting one of the reasons for that, say you're making $15,000 a year, you're spending every penny of that on something that's subject to the sales tax. If you earn $15 million a year, you can't spend that kind of money. 
There's only so many meals you can eat, only so much groceries you buy. So a very, very small proportion of your income is subject to the sales tax. And therefore, the sales tax is regressive, hitting hard on the people who have very little money, who have to spend every penny of it, and leaving completely untaxed those people who are who have way more than they can possibly spend. We'll be back with uh, David Lujan talking about what else is going on in the legislature. It falls into two categories, voting rights and abortion. And we return in just a moment in the think tank. Let all the dreamers wake the nation. Come the new Jerusalem. The Think Tank. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We are back with David Lujan, who is executive director, Center for Economic Progress and a former legislature, legislator and can, and I think legislative leader. Is that where you, I think you're in yep. leadership. Is that correct? Uh, so he knows what he knows. He knows how they make the sausage down there. And uh, and therefore, is a really good person to comment on uh, things in their current in, intermediate stage. And voting rights is one of those things that's very much on the agenda. According to the Brennan Center for Justice, Arizona Republican legislators have introduced a total of 23 bills that would make it more difficult to vote. It looks like, at least at their writing, seven of these are still active. It may be less than that now. Tell me what they're cooking up. What do these, uh, what do these bills uh, look like? What kinds of things are involved? And tell us about uh, what kind of uh, state of... Uh, of uh, which ones of these looks like look like they're going where? And I would remind people that the arithmetic is as follows: these tend to be party line votes. The Republicans hold that one vote edge in each chamber. So, from the Democrats' perspective, in order to stop a bill, they need a single Republican defection if they hold their group together, which largely up to this point they have. What's in the offing as far as uh, voting-related issues? Yeah, it, it definitely is one of the predominant themes at the legislature this session is making it more difficult for Arizonans to vote. And uh, you know, of all the bills, I think there, there's a number of different ones, but the ones that are most likely to, to make it through to the governor's desk will uh, revolve around the early voting uh, procedures. And so there, then there's a, a number of different bills that will do that, um, that cut the time in which people can, um, can vote early by mail, or there's also additional requirements in terms of uh, when you can have your ballot challenged. And there was also one that said that you had to have your, your uh, signature verified before you send it in. And sure, a lot we have of all access to a notary, right? Yeah, right. Right in my living room, yeah. Yeah, and, and the whole idea behind all of them is just to, to make it more difficult for people to vote. Um, there, there is no evidence of voter fraud in Arizona, despite what's been going on down at the Coliseum in the last couple of weeks. And so these are just uh, attempts to make it more difficult for, for Arizonans to vote. There's also a, a whole series of bills that have been introduced to make it more difficult to pass ballot measures. We were talking about Prop 208 also earlier. 
um, that it, that they want to have, for example, it would require a two thirds vote if you want to raise taxes at the ballot instead of just a simple majority. Um, and you're never going to get. And the point of that is, you'll never get there. You'll never get there. You can't get two thirds on anything in a 50-50 divided country. Yeah, it would be virtually impossible to ever raise taxes at the ballot box if something like that passed. On the subject of taxes, I think one of the unintended consequences when they put in a two-thirds requirement, we have a two-thirds requirement to raise taxes uh, by the legislature. And the unintended consequence, I think, was the following. Okay, a simple majority can cut taxes. There may be time when, when it makes sense to cut taxes. But if the situation that produced the conditions under which it made sense to cut taxes ended, and it now makes sense to go back to where we were, that all of a sudden requires two thirds, which is unattainable. And so it's asymmetric. You can cut easy. You can, for all intents and purposes, you can't increase taxes in the legislature, which is why we have had the, the consequence of that has been systematic underfunding, particularly of education, which is why we've had a number of instances that have gone to the ballot uh, to increase taxes for education, which is widely supported. Exactly. Since the two-thirds requirement to increase taxes that the legislature went in at 19, in 1990, the legislature has only been able to meet that threshold one time. So it's virtually impossible, as you said, to raise taxes at the legislature. If they do the same thing for ballot initiatives, we will never, ever be able to increase revenue. So you can forget about ever getting more funding for schools or for roads or anything else. It, it would uh, basically you know, make it impossible. Histor historical curiosity. What was the one time when the legislature came up with the two thirds? It was two, two years ago, actually, and it wasn't really a new tax. It was Prop 301, which is the education sales tax. That was approved by voters for 20 years. And so the legislature wanted to continue that tax because it's worked well for funding our schools. So technically, it was a new tax, but they re it really wasn't. It Just was really extended, extended. Yeah, because they could argue they had fig leaf. They could argue that it was merely maintaining. Exactly. In terms of new taxes, we have never been able to reach the two-thirds vote in the legislature to, to get that. And if I remember that instance correctly, part of what operated there was that the legislature was under threat that if they didn't continue that tax, right. that you or somebody else would start an initiative and would propose a tax that they would like even less. That's exactly what happened. Yes, that's why they did it. And so... And, and back to our earlier discussion, uh, sales tax is regressive. And <laughs> if you're representing high income people, if you got to have a tax, the one that you would, if your interests are primarily with very high income people, the least objectionable tax is a sales tax. Right. So, yeah. And that, that's why we're seeing a lot of these uh, make bills to make it more difficult to vote, whether it's at the ballot box or whether it's for candidates. It's uh, the majority didn't like the election results from this last election. And so uh, when you don't like the election results, that's, I guess, you try to make it more difficult for the people to vote. And that, that's why we're seeing what we're seeing. They didn't like the passage of Prop 208. Uh, they didn't like, you know, who was elected president. And so now they're trying to, to change the rules. And so, two senators. Right, right. So now they're trying to change the rules so that um, 
maybe they'll get the outcome that, that they're hoping for. We were a leader nationwide in early voting and everybody thought it was a swell idea because it increased access to the to the ballot box. And then um, Republicans lost a couple of elections and they said, well, we don't like that. <laughs> Right. And, and you probably, Mike, know more about this than I do, but my understanding is that voting by mail has been traditionally favored by Republicans more than Democratic voters. And so to be making it more difficult to vote by mail, you would think that that's going to actually hurt Republicans more than it would Democrats. Yeah, yes, it has traditionally been a Republican voting mechanism. The reason that was not true in the last election was Donald Trump was running around saying you can't trust the mail. Yeah. And when he said that, Republicans tended to believe him, Democrats tended to discount them, and therefore in 2020, the Democrats were more likely to vote by mail. In fact, we saw that when the vote was coming in, and it was fascinating to watch how this happened. Because in Arizona, we count the mail votes first, it right. started out with a big Democratic lead. And then we, uh, as you started to count the day of election votes, the Republicans throughout the counting process did better and better. In states like Michigan, it was just the opposite because in Michigan, they counted the day of election votes first and that tended to show a Republican lead. And then they start counting the mail ballots and the Democrats start to close in and eventually go ahead. And that's why Republicans started screaming, oh, there must be fraud because all these mail votes are coming in and the Democrats are doing better, ignoring the fact that exactly the opposite had happened in, in uh, Arizona. And it, in each case, it was simply a matter of you got two buckets of votes. You got the day of election votes and you got the mail votes. In both states, the mail votes were more Democratic. The day of election votes were more Republican. And in Arizona, they happened to count one pile first. And in Michigan, they happened to count the other pile first. And the reason, by the way, in Michigan, they didn't do it is there was a law that made no sense there. They said they weren't allowed to count the votes that hmm. were mailed in until after the polls closed. Now, there's a pretty good reason to not disclose the result of those results, which Arizona doesn't do either. Uh, but there's not such a good reason. There's no reason to not physically do the counting, keep the keep the machine sealed, run the millions of votes going through a machine. That's not done overnight. That's a that's a multi-day process. And the longer you have, if you're the ideal is that you can start processing those as soon as they come in. Keep the results secret. And then, uh, by the way, one thing I do want to ask before we move on topic. One, I, I don't know if this one's live, but one of the ones I thought was most noxious and discriminatory was the proposal that you had to enclose a photocopy of your identification information. And that requires, and this is where it's discriminatory, that you not only have the ID, which most but not all people have, but who has a photocopy machine in home? I do, you probably do, but most lower income, most uh, non-whites, uh, but lower income people in particular don't have a photocopy machine at home. So right. getting a photocopy means making a trip to a Kinko's, get, think, remembering to do that ahead of time, remembering to enclose it. And every time you interpose a step, you get fallout of people who will mail it in the way they always have 
not realizing there's an additional requirement, and even if they realize it, imposing an additional burden on them. Is that proposal still out there? Is that, that one of the ones that's active? I don't know if that one's still active, but yeah, you've 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 kind of hit on the theme though of these bills. And and if you one more thing to add on to what you're just saying, and if you're a lower income person who's working two or three jobs, you know, and you have to go to Kinkos, it makes it even more difficult. And that so that you know all of these things just are are making certain demographics making it more difficult for them to vote. And, and it just so happens that in every single case those demographic groups just happen to be ones that are prone to vote Democratic. Just happen to be, right. That's That seems to Golly be the case. Golly gee, who would have thought? <laughs> okay, so we will return. We will talk about the other big attention of the legislature, which is abortion. And uh, they actually passed an abortion bill. We'll talk about that with David Lujan when we return in just a moment in the think tank. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We are back here with former legislative leader David Lujan talking about what is going on right now in the Arizona legislature. One of the few things that they have reached some closure on is an abortion bill, which was not only sent to Governor Doug Ducey, but signed uh, what was this bill about? What did it do? And, and what do you think? Well, the, the, the whole idea of this legislation is aimed at triggering a, a U.S. Supreme Court challenge that will overturn Roe and outlaw abortion at any stage for, for any reason. So that's you're seeing not only in Arizona, but in some other states, um, you know, legislatures passing these types of bills with the whole idea of just trying to get this up to the U.S. Supreme Court to, to overturn Roe. Um, I think, you know, that this is, um, you know, one of the, the consequences of the, the change in Supreme Court and, and President Trump having three nominations over the last four years, uh, really changing the dynamics of the court. They think that there's now an opportunity to to overturn Roe and, and they're they're going for it. Notwithstanding the notion that they all claim to adhere to, which is precedent value. Right. Right. You know, so we we've had this, you know, Roe has been on the books for for many decades now. And so um, but that that doesn't matter to them. They're they're very much intent on on trying to overturn it. And this bill, if I read it correctly, will actually criminalize the provider of the doctors who would provide an abortion. Yes, it would. Um, and it's uh, you know, it's it's just really harmful. Um, you know, talk about women's health and, and women's fr freedom to choose. This this would uh, significantly uh, incur upon that, and and so um, you know this. But you know, this it's not surprising in the Arizona legislature. I, as you said, I was in the Arizona legislature for eight years, and and you know, we saw year after year, you know, Arizona trying to be. Uh, you know, a leader in trying to restrict a women's right to choose. And, and this is just a continuation of that. And it creates this really uh, undefined interim situation where, okay, this is designed to go to the Supreme Court, but in the interim, a doctor who performs abortion is risking criminal prosecution and has to hope that uh, 
well, that'll get thrown out by the courts because because uh, Roe v. Wade, but there's no guarantee. So they're they're putting they're putting their livelihood and their very freedom on potentially on the line. Right, and I think that's one of the intents behind this is that you know in the meantime, while and while we wait for the Supreme Court to to see if they will take this case up, it's going to make it, I would imagine, more difficult for um, you know providers of these services to find doctors who are willing to to perform abortions. And it's just going to, it's, you know, it's going to have that sort of that that threat of of just making it more difficult. And as far as the women are concerned, obviously, it hits differentially. If you're middle class, you get on a Southwest flight to Los Angeles and, and have a procedure done there. If you don't have a nickel to spare, uh, you're on uh, uh, you know, economically marginal, and this has to be done in Arizona, then you got to hunt for a provider who's willing to put their license and their livelihood on the line. Yes, absolutely. Very disparate results. Um, and, and this impacts uh, people very differently in terms of their, you know, where, where they're at, you know, in terms of economic levels and, and, and whatnot. Okay, we've covered that. We got a carnival going on in the uh, in the uh, Coliseum. What on earth is going on there? Oh, well, this you know this kind of gets back to what we're talking about of you know wanting to try and overturn elections. You know, they're trying to do it at the legislature by passing bills to to make it more difficult to to vote so that they can get the results they want in the future. But this is just you know going after whatever they see as imagined voter fraud that's occurred in the last election um, with no transparency um, and no experience in terms of the people who are conducting this so-called audit in, in doing these types of audits uh, in the past, uh, you know, and, and who knows how much this is costing taxpayers. So we have so many other priorities uh, that we should be focusing on in Arizona and this is really taking the attention of, of many of the people at the legislature, not to mention public tax dollars being used. And it is, uh, I think, just a joke that, that we are doing this. I wonder for Karen Fan, the president of the Senate, if she isn't in a position akin to that of the dog who finally catches the car that he chased. Because this was an election run by Republicans in Maricopa County, the Board of Supervisors, four or five of them are Republican. They say the election was clean. They hired separately both uh, of the uh, companies in this country that are certified to do true audits of elections. They both said this election was about as clean as you get. Um, there were some in the legislature who I, it seems to me it was pandering to people who just can't believe the result. And I think that this, personally, I think the Senate expected to have this thrown out in court. Instead, the court said, you wanna go ahead or count or do whatever, go ahead and do it. And then they didn't even have a place to do it because I don't think anybody, it seemed like nobody had thought that far ahead. Called their bluff maybe, yeah. And now they're doing something that the reporters are down there are finding things like, oh my God, the people there, are you, you know, they're around the ballots with the wrong color pens, they can, they can change the ballots. And the reporter had to tell the auditors, you can't do that. And they checked it out and said, oops, you're right. Okay, we won't do that. 
it, it seems like some kind of a clown car operation down there by people who've never done this before and who've made a public commitment. Oh, there was fraud. We don't we didn't look at anything, but we know there's fraud. There has to be. Exactly. And it, it's, it's, it's really just a fishing expedition. They're trying to find something. I don't even think they know what they're trying to look for. Uh, they're, they're looking at ballots under ultraviolet lights when there's nothing really you, you're going to find with that. And so, you know, I think it really truly is just a fishing expedition hoping to find something. But in fact, what I think they're going to do is they're, they're going to try and, and make up stuff that then they can, you know, say, see, we're right when, when every election expert who has looked at this said there's absolutely no evidence of fraud. And if you're already convinced there's fraud, somebody says, oh, well, we found something, you know, right. even if it doesn't hold water, we'll inevitably find contribution. We've run out of time. Thank you, David Lujan. Uh, your quick, real quick, your website, if somebody wants to go to it. It's azeconcenter.org, azeconcenter.org. And if you want to reach me, MikeO'Neill.org has access to social media, and you can send me an email as well. See you next week in the Think Tank. Coming to the edge, running on the water, coming through the fog, your sons and daughters, let the river run. Let all the dreamers wait the name.